Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. Welcome to church. How are you guys doing today? Awesome, awesome. Hey, welcome to ACF Church. If you are new, we just want to say welcome home. We're glad that you're with us here uh, today. Hope that you find a place where you can uh, wrestle with your faith and your doubts together uh, with us as a church. So we are starting a new series of talks here today called Fooled. Um, it's actually got a question mark, so it's more like fooled, right? So um, we're just talking about the resurrection, and if you didn't know this, this year, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, actually lands on April Fool's Day. So um, the irony may be lost on you if you're a Christian, but to your non-Christian friends, they're like, that makes sense, right? Because to a lot of people in the world, those who are outside of the church, the idea of this man who is resurrected is sort of like an urban legend. It's like folklore. It's just this story that's caught on that continues uh, today. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about the resurrection, talking about evidence for it and why we believe it, which I think is an important thing to do as we prepare for Easter Sunday. And so it's going to be a great conversation for uh, people, whether you are a a Christian or a skeptic. Um, I think this is a great place to be. And so I encourage you, if you've got some friends that uh, maybe are wrestling with this whole idea of faith or uh, of Jesus or even the church and resurrection and what that actually means, invite them. Invite them this week to be with us. And so it's going to be a great series of of conversations. I'm, um, I'm tired today. So I actually just got back from Kenya. I was in Africa for about a week, and it was a whirlwind trip. Went with an organization called Compassion International. Anybody know of Compassion? You guys heard of Compassion? So they uh, do child sponsorship. They're doing some amazing work. Uh, We were in the Nairobi area, and I've told a few of you this. I feel like I saw the absolute worst and best of humanity in the span of like seven days. Um, I mean, it was just the, these terrible situations and, and uh, then people also that were definitely the light of Christ in dark, dark situations. So um, more to come. Many of you have, have Facebook messaged me, emailed me. People are grabbing me after service like, how can I be involved? We'll talk about it soon. So just so you know, there is more to come. We'll be talking about that here uh, coming into the fall of this next year about how we are going to get involved um, with that. And so um, we are going to be spending the next 
five weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I, I'd encourage you, if, if you're wondering where to, to read, you know, what to spend your time at home re- reading the Bible, I'd encourage you, open up to 1 Corinthians and, and just read this once a week for the next uh, five weeks. It's really going to help you get some context for what we're talking about here in this series. And so would you stand up just in honor of God's Word? We like to stand in honor of God's Word here uh, occasionally as a church. We don't stand in honor of much as our cult, in our culture, do we? Like at weddings for the bride, uh, maybe for a judge, you know, at, um, in, a, in a courtroom setting. But we want to stand in honor of God and his word to us. And so let me read this, and then we'll pray together. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word to us today. We, um, we just need to encounter our creator. God, there's so much going on in, in our heads, so much distraction, and I mean, there's so many stories that are represented in this room today, Father. We need a real encounter with our creator. So Father, I pray you'd get my voice out of the way, that your truth would shine through as we open your word today. God, illuminate your scriptures to us. Help us to make sense of it. And God, help us connect it to our lives. We pray that uh, this would make a difference on our Monday mornings. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So we've all been in situations, I think, before where we have been the fool, right? Um, And my kids love April Fool's Day. Um, It's like that one day a year where you get to lie and not get in trouble for it, right? And so they love April Fool's Day. Don't you, Avriana? You love that day. Yeah, she's in the front row. So um, anyway, it's one of those days of the, of the year that people are playing practical jokes on each other. And I think we've all been in a situation where we've had to say uh, these words, you got me, right? All right, I get it. You got me. You know, I am, I am the fool in this moment. You have fooled me. Well, what we want to talk about is how I think a lot of people see the resurrection that one day. A lot of people uh, see that as, as Christians, they think, you know, you're going to realize at, at one point in one day that you were the, you were the fool, right? You're going to one day say, okay, you got me. And what we want to do is in the next uh, five weeks is really make a case for the resurrection. It's talk about uh, the evidence for the resurrection. That we as Christians, we believe this because we actually have studied. We've studied history. We've studied the scriptures. And there are actually reasons that we believe in the resurrection. It's faith, but it's not just blind faith. There is more to it than that. But I would say that for many people in the room today, if you're a Christian... Um, it would be really easy for you to say, I believe in the resurrection. 
Um, in fact, we just naturally respond that, you know, Jesus is alive. In fact, if I said this, he is risen, what do you say? He is risen indeed. That's right. Church people unite, right? We know, how, we know what to say in those moments. He is risen indeed. Uh, we know the tradition. If you're from outside the church, you're like, I just totally missed it, which is totally okay. There's a tradition that on Easter Sunday, we say he is risen, and you respond back, he is risen indeed. And so it's easier to say than it is to actually live, is it not? And I would say, for me in my life, I would say Jesus is alive, and you're like, well, that's good news because you're the pastor. I, I do believe that Jesus is alive, and at the same time, I feel like every year um, that I grow in Christ, I develop a deeper sense of that. And I begin to weed out some of my misunderstandings, misunderstandings about Jesus or about the resurrection or about what it means to believe truly deep down in my guts that Jesus is risen. And so I think this is important because the goal of all of us here today is to seek out the truth. I think that's really important to set as a baseline is that we are here to seek out the truth, no matter what it might mean. And so whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian or a skeptic here today, I want you to know that the goal here is to seek out the truth. Now, Christians aren't always known for this, are we? Uh, many people would say Christians sort of stick their heads in the sand. Um, they believe things for no reason at all. Uh, uh, faith in Jesus is just a crutch for the weak, you know. You just need something to believe in, so you believe in Jesus. And I would say, no, the, the, the purpose of this conversation is that we would actually develop uh, the evidence that we need to believe what we believe and to say, no, this is the truth because we've studied it. And we actually have a reason to believe this. And I would ask you, can you answer the question, why do you believe that Jesus is alive? I think every Christian in the room should have a good answer other than just, well, I just believe, you know? There's actually more to it than I just believe. There's evidence to be studied. There's a reason to believe what we believe, but it starts with us pursuing the truth, that we are here to pursue the truth. And it starts with us acknowledging that on some side of this, somebody's gonna be the fool in the end, right? That's the real question is, who's the fool? The one who believes in the resurrection or the one who doesn't? And that is the goal. Is like we want to figure out, okay, who is the fool in this? And, and in the end, we want to seek out what is the truth, no matter what it may mean. And I think as Christians, we need to trust. We need to trust that what we believe in can, can hold up to our questions. In fact, this is the best place to ask questions. And, and, and unfortunately, this isn't the case in a lot of, a lot of churches. But we want to make a, make, make a case that this is where you deal with your doubts, this is where you ask questions. Where else would you go if you have questions about faith than to the church, right? This should be where we wrestle with these things, but it starts with all of us coming at a level playing field, the believer and the non-believer saying that we are pursuing the truth, even if that means that I gotta, I gotta reshape some of my belief a little bit, and, and maybe it means that some of what I believe could be even wrong. In fact, a pastor um, said this, he quoted this guy named Greg Boyd says this, he says, you're not really interested in believing the truth unless you take seriously the possibility that what you presently believe is not true. So that's the baseline is that all of us here, believer and non-believer, would want to acknowledge that there's probably part of what I believe about life, about the world, and even about the resurrection that isn't quite right. And I want to grow in that and I want to understand it, but to pursue the truth means acknowledging that I don't get everything yet. And I think that's a great place of humility that we start at that, that location, that we are here to just pursue the truth, no matter what it may mean. And Paul talks about this idea of foolishness in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
In other words, if you're here and you're like, no, I don't believe this to be true, Paul says you're actually perishing, that you're actually um, living without the life of Christ, which means that you are living in death. And he says that means that when you hear about the resurrection, you're like, that's just a waste of time. That's just a big lie. But then he says, but to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. And isn't that right, that maybe you remember this moment where you went from denying Jesus, denying the resurrection, to a moment that you said, you know what, I think it's true. You know what, I think God is real, I think he's alive, and I think he loves me. And the moment that you switched like that, this whole story became, became a story of life for you. It became truth for you. And all of a sudden, what was, what was foolishness is now something that is wisdom and right. Verse 22, he says, Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. In other words, they look for logic. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So the message of the cross is for Jews and Gentiles, people from any backgrounds. If you're here from a religious background, a church background, or if you are brand new to the church, it's for everyone. And he says the Jews were looking for signs. And, and maybe you've been there before. You're like, God, I would believe in you if you would just do a, a, a miracle in front of me, Right? right? Make this puddle turn to ice, which I guess happens in Alaska all the time. Make, you know, this water turn to wine. You know, heal my, my friend. I want a miraculous healing in my life. I want to see something that I just cannot deny. And so God, we're, we're testing God, right? God, if you do this, then I will believe, right? And then he says, then there's the, these Greeks, these very linear thinkers who are looking for logic, right? I want A plus B to equal C. I want to remove faith from the equation, and I just want the resurrection to, to make to make sense, right? I just only want it to make sense, okay? So he says, the Jews demand size, the Greek, uh, look, Greeks look for wisdom, 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, if you've been in the church anytime, you've heard this term uh, stumbling block before, right? It's Romans 14, this idea of becoming a stumbling block, and it's usually uh, used in a negative context, right? Like if you're on the whole 30, and I were to come up to you and eat like a Big Mac with cheese and, you know, a thousand island dripping off it, you'd be like, bro, causing me to stumble, right? You're, you're not supposed to cause somebody to stumble. So in the church, we use that, that we don't want to cause a, a weaker brother or a new believer to stumble in their faith. So it's a negative context. Well, Paul is actually using this in a positive context. He's actually saying that the, 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 the story of the cross, of Christ crucified, is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. You see, Paul wants people to stumble over their unbelief. He actually wants them to stumble over their unbelief, which, um, just to show my cards here today, I'm in pursuit of the truth, but I believe that Jesus is alive. And my heart for you is that you would stumble over your unbelief, that by the end of these uh, five weeks, as we study through this, that you'd be like, I'm having a really hard time defending my unbelief. I'm actually having a really difficult time saying that this isn't true. I'm, I'm having a hard time finding more evidence for the idea that Jesus is not alive than the idea that he is. And so this is, this is what Paul is saying. He wants them to stumble over their unbelief. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In other words, he's like, what you think is foolishness is actually wise, and what you think is weak is actually strong. Faith in Jesus, faith in the resurrection, faith in a savior for you and for the world. 
So open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat in front of you. Uh, you can actually take that from, home, from, from the church, take it home, <clears throat> steal, steal a Bible, that's cool. We're down with that. And uh, download the ACF Church app if you'd like as well. All the notes will be on there, um, easy to follow as well. And so this passage in particular is the longest running passage in Scripture that's a defense of the resurrection. And so it's, it's really going to make a lot of sense as we read through it, why we're spending five weeks going through this. And we're really going to go through it verse by verse. But Paul is speaking to the church, reminding them of what they believe. And, and I will tell you, as a Christian, I've, I can't think of a, a time in my life where I didn't go to church. I still need a reminder of what I believe. And so maybe here today you need to hear what Paul has to say, what he would say to these, these first century Christians who were maybe in many ways wandering away from, from the truth or questioning what they had heard. Maybe you've been there before where you, you heard something and it got into your heart, got into your soul, and then weeks or months later you started thinking, ah, was that real? Maybe you had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you went to a camp or, you know, you had this night where you were at church and, man, God just spoke to you. And then, you know, the next day you're like, ah, was that just, you know, is that fake? Was that just my emotion? And then a week later, you're kind of questioning it. Well, Paul is saying, I want to remind you of what you believe. So verse one says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's going to talk about some different evidence of the resurrection. The first evidence I want to talk about today is the changed life. The first thing Paul wants these, these Corinthians to do is to consider their own lives, to be able to consider what has Christ done in their hearts, and to begin to reminisce and to think about right now, how has God changed me over the years? Can you do that? Do you have a story of what God has done in your life? The church word is a testimony. We throw that word around a lot. What is your testimony? What is your Jesus story? What is it that God has done to change you and your outlook on life? And here's what I think. I think every Christian should be a professional at telling their testimony. In fact, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I would encourage you to go home and write out your story. If you're a Christian today, it shouldn't take too long, but you should be able to sit down and at least in a page, write out what has God done in my life. And get it to a point where you have rehearsed it, you have practiced it, and you can share it. So Paul is like, hey, remember your story. And I've done this. Um, I've got like seven different versions of my testimony. I've got like the elevator version. Like I've got 30 seconds with you. Here's what God's done in my life. I've got the, you know, I'm stuck in a car with you for two hours version. You know, I've got the sermon version. I've got the cliff notes. I've got all kinds of different versions of my story, you know. And see, all of us, you know, we love to tell stories, but I think a lot of Christians are, for some reason, really shy about telling the story of what Christ has done in their lives. You need to know this. This is the most powerful thing you have to help somebody understand the resurrection. I, I honestly believe that the most, the most powerful tool to convince somebody and help somebody understand that Jesus is alive is your story. The greatest evidence of the resurrected Christ is a resurrected life. Do you understand that? The greatest evidence of the resurrected Christ is a resurrected life. It's that somebody's like, hey, they might have issues with the Bible. They might have issues with the church. They might have problems with Christianity in general. But if they see that Jesus is alive in you, there's going to be a conversation that begins to happen. 
And so then the question is, do we look like the resurrection? Are we confident that when people see us, they see the resurrected Christ? Because if, if the greatest evidence of the resurrected Christ is a resurrected life, then that's you and me that has to live that out. And so we want to be confident as we live that we have a story that's worth telling. That we have a story that's worth telling, a story of Jesus saving us from so much. And, and maybe you just need to remember what he's done in your life. Maybe you're like, Brian, I've been in the church for 40 years. And I remember I gave my heart to Jesus when I was, you know, eight years old. And so, so you kind of have this distant memory of, of Jesus. But the resurrection has kind of lost its luster in your life. And you just need to consider who you were and maybe even who you are apart from the grace of God. And, and that story will come to life. And it'll be something worth telling. He says, he, he uses this idea of the, that you have received the gospel it's, it's in which you stand and by which you are being saved. In other words, you're continually being saved. This idea, the theological term is progressive sanctification. That you've been set apart, made holy uh, when, you, when you enter into relationship with God and then you're on this journey of being made holy, right? We're all in this process of God working in our hearts and developing a, a deeper love for him and a, and a deeper commitment to life with Christ, right? So you're being saved and then he, he gives this caveat. He says, unless you believed in vain. So once again, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians and he's saying, he's acknowledging that in the room, there are those who have a vain belief. There are those who have a, a true belief, but then there are also those who do not have a true belief, a vain belief. And I would say the same is true in this room today, probably. But there are those of you here today who, when I say he is risen, you're like, he is risen indeed. But if you're honest, your life doesn't look much like resurrection. If you're honest, you haven't really followed Jesus with all your heart in a long time. And you're even starting to wonder if it's true at all. And he would say, there are those who hold fast to the truth, who have a true belief, and then there are those who have a vain belief. Verse three, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, Paul's like, I have a lot of things I could talk to you about, but I have one thing that's most important, and that's the resurrection. And the same would be true as we talk to people, we can get caught up in a lot of conversation, we can have a lot of fun with people, but there's one truth that is more important than any other truth in our lives, and that's the story of the resurrection. That's the gospel and, and how it's worked in our hearts. So Paul is delivering to them what he has received. Same is true for you and I. We're supposed to deliver what we received. In fact, we sh we, it's the kind of thing that when God works in our hearts, we shouldn't be able to help ourselves, but to deliver what we've received. Because how true is it that when you have a great story, you just want to share it? Are you that kind of person? Like something happens in your life, just a great story of something that happened, and you just, you can't help yourself. Guy at the supermarket, friend on the phone, it's going on Facebook, it's all over the place. You have a great story to share. Is the same true of the resurrection in your life? For Paul, it is. For Paul, it's like, I could write you a lot of stuff. Here's how, here's how things are going around me, you know, weather's great. I could, I could waste a lot of time or I could talk to you about the most important thing, the gospel. He says, here's what the truth is. The truth that I received is that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. In other words, uh, he's saying, remember what the prophecy was about Christ, about the Messiah, that the Messiah would come and that he would die for our sins. And he wants us to, to know that Christ was, this, this person that died was God himself. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Not just anybody could die for our sins, 
but it actually had to be God in the flesh. Like if I die for your sins, it does nothing for you. But when God dies for your sins, a sinless sacrifice, it means something. And so these, the Jews that are hearing this are connecting this to all of their Jewish traditions. And they understood sacrifices. They understood going to the temple and, and giving of the, of the sacrificial lamb. They understood all of that. And he's saying, no, Christ was the sacrificial lamb. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. First Timothy 2 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So their synapses are all firing going, wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus was the one, the Messiah came and he was the sinless sacrifice for all, right? Like all of these sacrifices that we've been doing for generations, it was just a shadow of what would come. It was just a foretelling of what would come that Christ himself would be the perfect sinless sacrifice that would atone for our sins. He continues on in verse four. He says uh, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul keeps coming back to the scriptures and this is evidence uh, number two of the resurrection, the scriptures. The scriptures are evidence of the resurrection. Um, Scholars believe close to 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah were fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so once again there, you can go to the scriptures and and trust that the scriptures are true and they're trustworthy. And and I just want to challenge you here today. Um, Can you make a defense of the Bible, of the book that you you stand on as, as something that you go to for truth? Can you make a defense of why you go to it? Because there is so much good evidence and and Christian in the room, if you're afraid of studying the Bible, don't be afraid. Once again, we're all here looking for the truth and so you can deal with some of the the struggles within scripture. Trust me, God can handle your questions. He can handle your studying. And, And the scriptures, once you study them and you deal with all of these different questions that you may have about it, I believe that you will come out the other side believing it's more trustworthy than ever. But you got to go through it. In fact, um, it's amazing. I know a lot of people that have gone uh, to seminary. And for a lot of people that are in seminary, their first year of seminary is one of the darkest seasons of their lives. Because that first year of seminary is when you begin to like weed out all the, you know, the, the traditions in your life and the things that you don't have any defense for. And, and you start to kind of take away all of the, the different coverings. And, and all that's left is, is how well you can defend what you believe in your, in your understanding of scripture and the truth. And for a lot of people, if they stop there, it's a dark season of life. But when you go through that and come out the other side, I believe you will trust this book more than ever. There's so much evidence, manuscript evidence, study that. There's all of the prophecies as we talked about. There's the consistency, internal consistency in the scriptures. In fact, I want to give you a reading um, assignment. If you want to understand the Bible and how to read it better, there's a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth uh, by a guy named Gordon Fee. And so uh, pick that book up. It's going to blow your mind. It'll be great. Uh, It's going to challenge how you read the scriptures. But let me just tell you, you don't have to be afraid of this. You don't have to be afraid of the friend that comes to you with like the website that's like a thousand discrepancies in the scriptures and why you shouldn't believe it. Like, don't be afraid of that. That's a great chance to have a conversation about what the scriptures are, what they're not, how we believe them, and why we believe them. So don't be afraid, I think, that you're going to end up with a deeper trust in the scriptures. Paul is like, hey, do you know the Old Testament? Do you know the prophecies about Jesus? That is evidence for the resurrection. Verse 5. He says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas 
then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So evidence number three is the witnesses. The, the witnesses, the people that saw Jesus after the resurrection. So first he talks about Cephas. Do you know who Cephas is? Peter. It's another name for Peter. Now, it's so interesting that Jesus was resurrected and the first person he goes to is Peter. Do you remember the last thing that Peter did? Deny Jesus, right? Remember that moment? Now, I don't know if you ever had somebody deny, deny you. Uh, I just think back to like junior high school when I thought the cool kid was my friend until he was around his other cool friends and then like he didn't know me anymore. That's just me. But um, I just remember these moments where I'm like, oh, I feel like I don't matter to this person. And, and obviously like this is a huge moment in Peter's life where he was confronted for his belief and his faith in Jesus and that he was walking with this guy. And in that moment, he denied Jesus and it's so interesting that Jesus, who's, he's thinking, who's the first person that needs to see me after the resurrection? Who's the first person that needs to see me? Peter does. Peter's going to be a wreck. Like, you know, Jesus is thinking, oh, I love Peter. I love Peter. He's going to be a total disaster when he finds out that I'm alive. He's going to be a total wreck. And so I need to go to Peter first. What an act of grace, right? I love that he goes to the doubter first and says, listen, there's grace for you. So he goes to Peter that's a big deal. Then he goes to the 12. Now, when Jesus goes to the cross, where are the 12? Where are they at? Scattered, hiding, terrified, right? They had just spent the past three years walking with this man who was going to the cross. It was all a sham. They're all thinking, you got me. We blew it. Time to look for a new Messiah because this one's dead, Right? This one's, gone, this one's dying. This is a mess. They're terrified. They're wondering what's going to happen next to them. They're wondering, you know, what kind of political implications this is going to have on them and in their lives. And so they're, they're freaking out. They're hiding. And so Jesus wants to go to his friends and reveal himself to them. Now, this is a really big deal. These guys are freaked out and hiding and running for their lives. And then something happens that results in them ending up being the spark that ignites this massive movement of Christianity across the region. And then these guys go from hiding and running for their lives to giving their lives for the message of the resurrection. Now, you just have to kind of think of this. Just think logically for a second. What would it take for you to die for something? I mean, I even, do you ever think this once in a while? Like, put a gun to my head, would I say Jesus is alive? I hope I would, Right? For these guys, they actually did it, right? They actually, many of them were martyred, killed for their faith in Jesus. You have to go, what would it take for people to go from running for their lives to giving their lives for something? You see, if Jesus had not been resurrected, the disciples would have known it. They were looking for it. In fact, they already believed that the story was over, And here's the thing, people typically will not die for something they know to be a lie. You might die for something you think to be true, that you put your faith in. People do all kinds of crazy things for something they believe is true. But you typically would not die for something you know to be a lie. And these guys, they ran for their lives and then something happened that caused them to give their lives for what they believe. What was the the something? They encountered Jesus. 
Jesus himself, post, uh, post-crucifixion, reveals himself, meets with these guys. Remember, Thomas puts his hand in his side. Like, they believe that Jesus is alive to the point of being willing to die for it. It's interesting. Some people think that Jesus was just a crazy man trying to start a cult, trying to start some kind of religion. But if you think about it, if he was trying to start some kind of cult or a following, then foretelling your own resurrection would be a terrible way to start a religion if it wasn't true, right? I mean, he'd been saying it for his entire ministry. And then he, he goes to the cross, his closest followers abandon him, and then he's resurrected. It's actually true. So once again, you just got to look at the evidence and, and, and keep remembering that, that there is, this is historical evidence, you can, you can back this up with, with history books, the movement of the church. You can read the book of Acts, but you can also look in the history books and see the movement and the explosion of the early church. So, so remember, connect the scriptures to history. Even your non-believing skeptical friend cannot deny that there was a man named Jesus. He was born. He had this following. He did some things that people thought were miracles. And then he died, and then something happened, and then there was this explosion of the early church. So he he appears to Peter, he appears to the 12, then there's the 500. Now, we don't know who the 500 are, but apparently some of them are still alive. And so Paul's like, hey, if you still don't believe, church, if you're still struggling to remember what you first believed, go talk to Bill, right? Bill was there. He saw Jesus after the resurrection. So go talk to him. And once again, this is unexplainable. Like, what was this? Why, why did 500 people after Jesus was crucified believe that he was alive? Was this like a group hallucination or something, right? They're all on opium or some kind of, you know, what are they doing that they're all kind of believing that Jesus is alive, being willing to give up their lives, many of them, for this belief? Verse 8, Paul comes back to talk about his own life. He comes back to talk about what God has done in his own life. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He appeared to me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I love this moment for Paul. Paul is, you just sense the heart of a pastor for his church. And he's like, listen, I know you got your doubts and I know the pressure's on and I know you're, you're fearful and you don't know what you think, but if you don't believe anything else, believe in me. Look at my story. I was killing Christians. I was persecuting the church and then something happened in my life. What we know is that Paul actually encountered Jesus physically. And in that moment, he was transformed to be one that would give his life for this cause. So once again, we're looking at evidence and we're like, okay, Paul is a walking resurrection. People can see it in his life and he has a passion to share it. And the people that are listening to this are like, that's, that's pretty good evidence. It's true. I heard about what Paul was doing. I knew, I, maybe I, I knew this man back when he was persecuting Christians and now I see how God has changed his life. I mean, in the end, this is crazy. It is crazy when you see somebody come so far and be transformed so much. I want you to come back to this one thing. The greatest evidence of the resurrected Christ is a resurrected life. It just comes back to you and I. Are we walking resurrections? 
Do people see the kingdom of God in the way that we live, in the way that we serve, in the way that we love people? What I'm not asking you to do today is just go be a moral person. I'm not asking you just to, you know, go give a few bucks to a charity or, you know, serve at the soup kitchen or, you know, go forgive somebody that hurt you. Those are good things. What I'm asking you to do is is identify in your heart, do you believe that Jesus is alive? Because what we're going to read as we study next week, come back next week, because there's such a, a pivotal passage. Paul says, hey, apart from the resurrection, if there is no resurrected Christ, our faith is useless. This is all a sham. This is all a waste of time. We are dead in our sins if there's no resurrection. So this is the linchpin, you guys. This is the key thing. This is what all of our faith rests on, is the truth of the resurrection. It doesn't rest on your religion. It doesn't rest on the church. It doesn't even rest on the Bible itself. It rests on the resurrected Christ. So do you believe it? Can you defend it? And can the people around you see it? And if they can't, if you're here today and you're like, no, Brian, I am not a walking resurrection. I kind of, in fact, when I walk into a room, death comes into a room, honestly. If that's you, I just want you to consider a few options. Maybe you have heard about the resurrection, but you have not realized that the resurrection is not just for Jesus, it's for you as well. And maybe you say, well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, that's good, but he also died and was resurrected to give you life. He didn't want to just take your sins. He wanted to give you life. And so you live life on Good Friday, right? You're like, yep, he's dead. But you, ref- you forget that he's risen to give you life. Maybe that's you. And you're like, man, I just need to live in the life of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've heard, but you haven't actually believed. You're actually the, the person that Paul was saying has vain belief. You come to church, you do religious stuff. People around you might say that you're a Christian, but honestly in your heart, you have not surrendered your life to Christ. And so because of that, you know, like, I don't look like the resurrection because I don't believe in the resurrection. But maybe, maybe today, even in, in, in this conversation, you've realized there's enough evidence to the point that I'm actually having a hard time defending my unbelief. I'm actually having a hard time defending that, I, that this isn't true. Option number three, maybe you're here and you just have never heard before. You've never heard that you can have total peace before God not by any good work that you could do, but by the good work of Christ. I mean, that's good news. This is what Paul wants to keep bringing people back to. There is good news to be told, and it's the kind of news that changes your life. I want you to remember it or hear it for the first time and then respond to it. And if you don't know how to respond to it, Romans 10, 9 says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty simple, huh? Like, it's almost awkwardly simple. Like, how can it be that it's not easy? Certainly not easy. I mean, walking in that, we see that the disciples walked in that and they they were killed for it, right? So this isn't easy, but it is simple. It just simply takes a decision that you make in your heart to believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I mean, how do you confess with your mouth? You tell your story. You tell people about how, how Jesus is Lord of your life. You let the testimony out. You actually declare and give what you first received in Christ. He says, if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe it in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that's it. You don't need to know all the theology. You don't need to have the whole Bible memorized. It doesn't take anything. You just have to make that decision and all the rest will come along. I'm I'm, I'm trusting it will. And so where are you at today with the resurrection? Do you believe 
that it's true? Can you, can you make an evidence for the resurrected Christ? And just ask yourself this question, do people see me as a walking resurrection? If you are a Christian, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to reach the world with the gospel. And I just want you to know, when you believe this is, is true, you, you, like Paul, will be like, you know what? We could talk a lot about a lot of stuff right now, but I just want to talk about what Jesus has done. Because honestly, life's short. Uh, we don't know that we're guaranteed another day together. And so let me talk about something that might change your life. So be those people. Let's be that together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are alive and... You are the way and the truth in the life. And Father, we uh, trust today that, that truth is found in Jesus. Um, I want to pray for the person here today who recognizes that, um, that their life does not look much like resurrection. And when they walk into a room, they don't bring life, they bring death. And Father, I, I just see that in my life and, and um, I, I confess that to you, Father, that I'm not walking in the resurrection the way that I want to. So Father, I pray that you would weed out my unbelief. I pray I would stumble over my unbelief. God, I pray I'd put myself in situations where I could express my faith in you. I pray that for those in this room, that we all would be the type of people who own our opportunity and own our call to be Christ to the world. I pray for the person here today who has never heard this before who's never considered that they could be at peace with this holy God. And it's not by anything that they have done, but by the finished work of Christ on the cross. I pray that could be received and acknowledged today. And God, as we worship in the next few moments, as we take communion, I pray that we could celebrate not just your death, but your life. It's just so interesting. Every week we dip this little cracker in the juice and what a hopeless thing to do week after week if there was no resurrection. But what a hopeful thing to do every week to celebrate your death because, God, you are not dead, but you are alive. So, Father, help that to, to make its way into our hearts in a deep way today. I pray it would flow from our lips as we sing in the next few moments that we would sing like our God is truly living, and that we have hope in a dark, dark world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.